Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. All right, here we go. Listen, a little, little bit cold, a little winter weather, can't stop the move of God, yes? Amen? All right, guys, we're so glad you're here. Thank you for gathering with us. If you're not on site today, thank you for joining wherever you are in the world for a new year, and we're in a new series. We're going to be in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 3, this morning as we begin another series called Impossible. Impossible 2 is what we've called this because this is the second year of what we call the impossible campaign, attempting impossibilities that are far too hard for you and me, but not impossible for the God that we serve. Launching new gatherings and new places to reach new people. 2021 saw a brand new Abundant Life Campus in Independence. 2022, we'll see an Abundant Life Campus in the heart of our city, Kansas City, the Crossroads District, by the end of this year, we'll be gathering there. We're launching an online campus this year in August, officially, of a move of God that is multiplying around America right now in what we're calling a church house movement in the homes of men and women gathering together to make their house a church house. And of all these things, guys, I'm most excited, I think, about what we've called this Not Ashamed Initiative. This is a thousand of us, actually more than a thousand members of our church that are all looking for their one. Remember Jesus in Luke 15 told the parable of how he would leave the 99 sheep to go after that one. And that is how God feels about every single one. And if indeed you have been found, then God has sent us on a mission to go find that one. And so we have been preparing and planning, and many of you have been sharing, and some of you have found your one, some of you have become that one. If that's you, we would love to know your story. You can go to this right here, livingproof.co slash not ashamed to just share your story about how you came to faith in Jesus, if you've been found, or maybe how you found that one that God sent into your life. The most important thing we can do is run this play that Jesus gave us to do in Acts 1 and verse 8, when he said these words, you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So last summer, we had this outside service, kind of a all-church picnic, a party, and we baptized, I think, over 50 people that day. It was an awesome day. And uh, I saw this that afternoon on Facebook. This is Michaela Meyer right after her baptism, and on either side of her are the two women that led her to Christ. She was their one. You have Tina on her right that was on a vacation in Arizona at the very same time, coincidentally, that Michaela was on vacation in Arizona. They run into each other, both from this area, and providentially, not accidentally, God sent someone who needed to be found that was thousands of miles from home. And God found Michaela in Arizona. She came to church, met Mary. Mary 
led her to Jesus, and she posted this story on her Facebook page that very same day. My life is forever changed because of abundant life. These two incredible ladies shared their stories and who Jesus really is when I was at the lowest point in my life. They truly loved me through the pain and continued to point me toward Jesus and who he says I am. Now I am forever changed by Jesus. Just one story of a life changed by Christ. I mean, this is what keeps me in the game. This is what keeps me in the race, watching Jesus change lives. And it just so happens that today, Michaela and Mary are here right now to share the backstory of this story. Give it up right now, if you would, for Michaela and Mary, because this is just one story of someone who became someone's one, and we're praying for hundreds of more stories just like this one. And so, uh, guys, I just want you to know how appreciative and thankful I am because this takes a little bit of courage to get up here and share the story. It does. So uh, thank you, Michaela. So tell us how this happened, how this went down. And uh, you were on a vacation trip to Arizona, of all places. You meet somebody from Lee Summit in Arizona. Kind of tell us how this happened, would you? Yeah, so I actually grew up in a really small church, um, and there they really talked about all the rules that you had to follow and how to be a good person and not let God down. So when I went away to college and eventually moved up here, I realized those were some pretty high expectations that were virtually impossible to meet. Um, and so every time I didn't meet them, I was filled with shame, and then I'd go back and find out more rules that I had to follow, and I wouldn't meet them and filled with shame, and so it was just this vicious cycle. So in turn, I actually fell away from the church. Um, then five years ago, I was sexually assaulted by somebody that I trusted. Um, and in that moment, I decided it was either one of two things. One, God didn't exist. Or two, if he did, he turned his back on me when I needed him the most. And that wasn't a God that I wanted to follow. Um, so for the next several years, I struggled with PTSD, anxiety, a lot of shame around that situation. I tried a lot of worldly things to make myself feel better, to get back in control and fix things. And nothing seemed to be working. So in April, I found myself um, at a place that I really just contemplated life in general. Um, and I just wanted to escape. So I made a vacation trip to Arizona, far away from here as I could possibly think. Um, and when I was there, I met up with a group of girls from all over the United States um, just to do some exploring um, in Arizona. And the first night that we were all together, we sat down and we're just getting to know each other and started to talk about how much anxiety we all had from the year of 2020. Um, and it was later that evening, Tina pulled me aside and she was like, hey, I'm actually from Lee Summit and I go to this church called Abundant Life. Um, and she just went on to tell me how much support she had felt from this church through a lot of her hard times, uh, all the peace that she felt knowing who God says that she is, even when she questioned things in her life. And so I went to bed that night and I thought, well, this is a really weird coincidence that someone from back home is all the way in Arizona telling me about God or God chased me all the way to Arizona and was calling me home. So when I got home, I just couldn't shake the thought of, maybe this isn't a coincidence. Um, so I came to Abundant Life and that's where I met Mary and Mary shared the gospel with me in a way that I had never heard before. She really explained to me how God loved me and was pursuing me and nothing that I did in my past or that I will do will make him love me any more or any less. Um, she really talked to me about how the shame I was carrying from that incident was not mine to carry anymore. Um, and for the first time I understood 
God did not turn his back on me in that moment, but instead his heart was breaking and he was weeping for me. Um, and when I left this building that night, I felt physically lighter than I had ever felt before. And I finally felt the hope that I had been longing for, for years. Um, and so a few weeks later, I gave my life to Christ and was baptized. Awesome, praise the Lord. So Mary, pick it up from there. You meet Michaela at church. What happened next? Yeah, so I met Michaela on Tuesday night at our young adult ministry paradigm, and we talked a little bit before service and kind of heard her story and kind of growing up in church, which was similar to kind of how I grew up too. And so after the service, we went in together, and um, I introduced her to Chad, and Chad was encouraging me to share the gospel with her. And I was like, well, I'm pretty sure she's good, but I'll do it anyway. And so shared the gospel with her, and at the end just asked her, hey, is this a decision that you've made to make Jesus Lord of your life and your Savior? And she was like, you know, I think I have, you know, a while ago. And I was like, okay. And so we kind of processed through what does it look like to live in the freedom that Christ offers. Um, and a couple weeks later, the Holy Spirit kept convicting her heart. And in the Next Steps class, she heard the gospel again and realized, you know, I don't think I have actually submitted and surrendered my life to the Lord. And it was such evidence to me of the Holy Spirit at work. Of, that wasn't something that I could do is show her that she hadn't fully surrendered her life. But it was something that God was faithful to show as I was able to get to share. And so it was really encouraging for me to get to see as well. So exciting. So you had the joy of really sharing the gospel, explaining that to her, and then the light bulb came on for you and you realized maybe I hadn't done that before. See, there's a difference between knowing about Jesus and trusting in Jesus. A lot of people believe about him, but you never truly trusted in him. See, one is religion, the other is redemption. So God used Mary. Mary, let me ask you, do you have a PhD in theology? <laughs> no. Do you have a doctorate of divinity? Nope. <laughs> and God used you anyway? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Pretty cool. <laughs> Would you say, it, you know, you're just kind of an ordinary person, like I'm an ordinary person? Yeah, for sure. I mean, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. That's what God wants to do with all of us. Guys, thank you for sharing that today. Super exciting. Give it up, would you, for Michaela and Mary? Because it takes a little bit of courage to get up here and share that story with everyone. I'm just so thankful they did. And Michaela drove all the way from Olathe on bad wintry streets to get here. And uh, so, Michaela, thank you for sharing that. I'm so thankful for each of you. Listen carefully. I want you to understand God has given us all unlimited potential to do the impossible to advance his kingdom. And that is what we have to understand. As human beings, we are finite. God is infinite. We are limited, but God is not. And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. God took limited, ordinary people and gave them the unlimited power of the Holy Spirit to be a powerful witness of Jesus. The disciples had asked Jesus, who can be saved? I mean, it seems like an impossibility. And Jesus answered this way. It's a theme verse for our two years of the impossible campaign. He said, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And that's what we're doing as a church. We're attempting what seems like impossible things. As an individual Christian, I want you to think in terms of positioning your life to do impossible things. You don't get to see God move miraculously until you begin giving yourself to impossibilities. Now understand, our vision as a church, as we advance the Great Commission, advancing his kingdom, it is not by addition. 
That is the old paradigm of church in America. Build a bigger auditorium so we can hold more people in one location. Everybody comes here from out there. No, the real vision of the Great Commission is we understand that we go from here out there. So it really is a mission of multiplication. That was a multiplying movement in the early days of Christianity that spread through uh, the old, the old uh, Roman world really like fire through dry timber. It was an unstoppable move of God. And it wasn't because they were trying to advance the kingdom through addition. It really was multiplication. And that's why we're multiplying new gatherings and new places to reach new people, whether it's Blue Springs, Missouri, Independence, Missouri, Crossroads of Kansas City, Missouri, church houses all over our country. Here's the key to the future. It's mission critical that we replicate leaders. And everyone needs to begin seeing themselves as a leader. Everyone is someone's leader. We have this beautiful serving culture at our church. I mean, church, you're a beautiful bride of Christ. And so many people who serve so faithfully and so sacrificially. But what we need, honestly, is more than a serving culture. It's a leadership culture where we begin seeing ourselves as servant leaders and everyone is someone's leader. We're all called to make disciples who make disciples. That means as a Christian, if you're truly a disciple, you've given your life to make disciples, that makes you someone's leader. Even without a title, Mary was Michaela's leader. And I want you to know, this is why we're doing something we've never done before in the history of our church, starting this month, our first ever leadership summit. I wanna invite you to this leadership summit we're doing for the first time ever. It's gonna be Friday night, January 28th, Saturday morning, January 29th. And we're really beginning to cultivate and foster then a leadership culture because God wants to use you in ways maybe you haven't even thought about God could use you. And as we replicate new gatherings and launch new places to reach new people, it's gonna take leaders to do it. And so that's why we're doing our first ever Leadership Summit this month. Put it on your calendar. Consider yourself invited. Now, what are we doing as we launch this year? We're doing a study of the life and leadership of Moses. Maybe four or five weeks. Not going to be a long study. But what I want you to hear me say today is this. Something very, very important. Leaders are not made from living in palaces. They are made from time spent in deserts. And that is where God finds Moses in Exodus chapter 3. He finds him in a desert. He'd been in a desert for 40 years of his life. Now, he had lived the first 40 years of his life in a palace. He lived a palace life, but God had to get him out of the palace and into the desert so that he could shape him and form him into the leader that he would eventually be. Nobody is born a leader in a palace. Leaders are made from time spent in deserts. I could show you in the Bible over and over again, some of the great leaders of the faith became leaders in a desert, whether it's the apostle Paul, who once was Saul, who was converted to Christ on the road to Damascus, he would tell the Galatians, that his first three years as a Christian, he actually spent alone in the Arabian desert. God was shaping him and making him in a desert into the leader that he would be. I can tell you about King David, the greatest king in all of Israel's history. He was anointed to be the next king over all of Israel, but for years and years and years before he took the throne, he was running from King Saul in the Judean desert. You see, God uses the desert times of our life life to shape us and make us for what we're going to be. 
What is the desert time of life? The desert in your life are the difficult times, the dry times, the deserted times, the times in your life that feel it's deserted and God isn't moving and God has become invisible. I'm talking about the desert times of life where it feels dry spiritually and it feels like you're living in anonymity. God, where are you? That was Moses for 40 years, but 40 years of his life, God was shaping him and making him for this moment that God was about to call him to. And it could be that some of us here are in a desert season of life. It's a very difficult season of life, a difficult, difficult time of life. You need to know that God has brought you to the desert not to leave you there, but to prepare you there. You see, it was in the desert that God is preparing Moses to be the great leader and deliverer that we now know him as. And I'm telling you this, church, because I meet people all the time, and we live at a time where we think, you know, through social media and the internet, we hear about what looks like these overnight successes. And I meet people at times that, you know, they want to hit a home run and land on home plate, but skip first and second base. And that's just not how it works. There are no shortcuts to the sanctification God wants to do in our life. There are no shortcuts to the godly destination that God has destined for you in life. It's through those difficult desert moments. Think about Moses for 40 years. What was he doing? He was doing the mundane. He was herding somebody else's flock of sheep. See, I'm trying to tell you, if you can't be faithful with the mundane, God can't trust you with the bigger things. If you can't be faithful doing the smaller things, God can't trust you with the larger things. And that's what Moses was doing. I mean, we know Moses now as the great lawgiver, the one that would go up Mount Sinai and come back down with the Ten Commandments and the the first time God would ever reveal himself through written revelation. We know Moses as the one that would go back to Egypt and stand toe-to-toe with Pharaoh and say, let my people go. We see Moses as this one that would part the Red Sea and bring water from a rock and do these mighty miracles, but understand for 40 years, day after day, after day, after day, there he was in the desert. And he must have wondered at time, does God even remember I'm here? But it was in the desert that God was shaping him and making him into the leader that God was now calling him to be. Let's pick it up right here now in Exodus 3 and verse 1. You ready for this? Say yes. All right, here we go. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now Horeb, the mountain of God, is the same mountain later known as Mount Sinai, the very same mountain that Moses would go up to get the Ten Commandments. It says, he came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. He'd been in this desert for 40 years, day after day after day, and he had never seen anything like this. It has got his complete attention. There is a bush that is on fire, but the bush is not burning. It's not being incinerated. I have to go check this out. See, God has now got his attention. Let me ask you something. Does God have your attention? 
I mean, ask yourself, honestly, just a little, little time of reflection, does God have your attention? I've said before, God might bring revival to the body of Christ in America if he could get our attention for 10 minutes. I mean, really, we dart into church, hour and 15 minutes, then we dart out, we go on about our week, Monday, Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we're busy, 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 go, 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 and we come back in church, God, you got an hour, whatever you're going to do, you got an hour, that's all the time I got. Listen, if God could get our attention for 10 minutes, he might be able to bring revival. I'm convinced this is part of what God is doing in COVID, this new pandemic era that we now live in. Like, I'm convinced it was God's divine interruption so that we might have a little divine introspection, so we might come to a place of greater desperation, so that just maybe, just maybe, God could bring revival in our lives. But he's got to get our attention. This is Moses. Now God has his complete attention. Look what happened. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near to this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up from the land uh, to a land that is good and large, to a land flowing with milk and honey." Now, what you need to know about the story of Exodus, and I would go home seriously, and I might read this afternoon after the Chiefs game. It's going to be over. It's going to be too cold to go outside. Just go ahead, build a little fire. If you have a fireplace, get on the couch, snuggle in with a comforter and hot cup of cocoa or whatever, and maybe just read the first four, five, six chapters of the book of Exodus. It reads like the most amazing novel you have ever read. It has got it all. I mean, I'm talking drama, but here's the deal. It's real history. It really happened. And check this out. First Corinthians chapter 10, the apostle Paul would tell us that this history of the Exodus is actually our story. Like it's the story of the ancient Hebrews and their exodus out of slavery and captivity. But what Paul teaches us is that history is our story and we are embedded in that story. Because here you have the Hebrews, they are in slavery and captivity under Egyptian tyranny. And I want you to know that Jesus said these words that like the Egyptians were holding them in bondage over and over again, century after century. They'd been there 400 years. You know what? We have the very same situation, a spiritual condition that we too are in a prison. It is a prison to sin. And this is why Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. If the son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, why would Jesus say we need to be set free and he's come to set us free? I'll tell you why, church, because apart from Christ, we too are in captivity. We are born under sin's penalty and Satan's tyranny. You see, we need to be set free by what Jesus did at Calvary. 
You see, our story is the same story of the ancient Hebrews who'd been in captivity century after century. And here's the deal. They did not have the power personally to set themselves free and deliver themselves from captivity. God was going to raise up Moses as a deliverer to go back to Egypt to deliver them from Pharaoh's tyranny and from their slavery. And do you understand that God has given us one greater than Moses one better than Moses, whose name is Jesus. And when you put your faith in Jesus, he sets you free from sin's penalty. He sets you free from sin's captivity. And then he leads you on a journey to the promised land spiritually that flows with milk and honey. Jesus called it in John 10, verse 10, life abundantly. 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 1 Corinthians 15, thanks be to God who gives us the victory. 2 Corinthians 2.14, he causes us to live triumphantly. It's the promised land spiritually. You see what happens is Moses is gonna deliver them from their bondage in Egypt and then lead them on a journey through this very same desert, through this very same wilderness, right to the brink of crossing over into that promised land, the ancient land of Canaan that he said would flow with milk and honey. And here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. Their story is our story. We're embedded in that. You see, Moses did not abandon them once he had delivered them he then led them on a journey to that promised land that had been promised to them. And that's exactly what Jesus wants to do now for you and for me. He delivers us from sin's penalty, but he also has the power to deliver us from sin's power so that you and I can live freely a life of liberty. Why then do we live in complacency and mediocrity as though we are still in captivity. You see, God has destined you for so much more. And God had destined the ancient Hebrews for so much more. And God was going to use this one named Moses. And God is calling all of us, like Moses, to the impossible. And God moves miraculously when we attempt impossibilities. Now understand the implications here. What are we as the church? When we consider the church, all we are is a band of liberated slaves. Those that were once in slavery to sin that have been set free by what Jesus did at Calvary. And if indeed we're just a band of liberated slaves, then our calling is as liberated slaves to go back into Egypt and help other slaves get set free. And that's what God is now calling Moses to do. Moses, I want you to go back into Egypt and I want you to help my slaves get set free because I'm gonna make them my sons and my servants. No longer will they be slaves to Pharaoh. No longer will you be a slave to sin. I want you to help them get set free. And I can only imagine what Moses was thinking. God, this seems like an impossibility. And church, I want you to understand that you don't get to see God move miraculously until you position your life to attempt impossibilities. Now here's the reality. Most churches in America will not attempt anything that doesn't come with a guarantee that they can't fully see, anything that feels a little too risky. 
But you understand, Hebrews 11 tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God, meaning anything we're doing apart from faith is not pleasing to God, and apart from risk, we don't need faith, and without faith, we're not pleasing God, which means it's always right to risk for the cause of Christ. You see, faith is always risky. We got to be willing to live a little dangerously. And only then do we get to see God move unexplainably. Do you want to see the unexplainable yet undeniable move of God? I do. I won't settle for anything less. I mean, I want to see the unexplainable yet undeniable move of God. And this is what is required. God will move miraculously. I mean, honestly, church, we sing about it every Sunday. God is a God of miracles, but then we do everything in our power to never actually need one. And if we want to see God move miraculously, we have to be people willing to do and attempt impossibilities. Like, it seems impossible God could use me. It seems impossible God could use little old ordinary me. No, you don't understand. As a child of God, you're no ordinary human being. You have the spirit of the living God living inside of you. You're not a natural human being. You're a supernatural. You have the supernatural power of God living inside of you to do unexplainable things to advance the kingdom of God. This is what God is now telling Moses to do. Moses, I have brought you out to this desert for 40 years, but not to leave you here, but rather prepare you here. And it could be that that's where you are in life tonight, this morning, this afternoon, in a desert place. And God hasn't brought you there to leave you there. God is using this to prepare you there. And God is calling Moses to now be the one to go back and deliver his people so they can begin to embody their true destiny that God had promised them from the day that he called out Abraham from the Ur of the Chaldees and said, I'm gonna make of you a great nation and in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now I can only imagine the excuses Moses had. Moses was just a human being like the rest of us. This had to be overwhelming. This had to be really, really scary. Like, God, this seems like an impossibility. And I'm pretty convinced a lot of the excuses that would have ran through Moses' mind are the very same excuses that go through our mind and my mind when God is calling him to go back to Pharaoh, the most powerful person on earth, and stand toe-to-toe with Pharaoh and say, let my people go. First of all, I'm convinced he probably thought this. God, uh, you've probably forgotten, I'm a failure. I'm a failure. God, you probably have forgotten. You must have forgotten because if you remembered my past, if you knew my history, you wouldn't be calling me. And I didn't tell you why he'd been 40 years in the desert. Let me tell you why. Let me give you the backstory of why Moses had been 40 years in the desert. So Exodus opens up in chapter one, says there was a new Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. Joseph, of course, had become the second highest in all the land. 
Generations had passed. A new Pharaoh emerges. I don't know who Joseph is, and I don't know who these Hebrews are, but they are multiplying really fast. As a matter of fact, these Hebrews are not Egyptians, and if it keeps going the way it's going, they're going to multiply faster than we Egyptians, and they're going to be stronger than we are, so we had better enslave them and get control of them while we can, or the day will come that we can't, and they will take over the land. And so this is what they did. They began to enslave the Hebrews that were in the land. Not only that, they kept multiplying over and over again, faster and faster and faster. So Pharaoh said, we need to do more than enslave them. In fact, I'm going to pass a law, and all the Hebrew baby boys will be put to death. Because if we don't, they will keep multiplying faster than we, and eventually they'll be mightier than we, and they'll take over the land. So here's the plan. He said in Exodus chapter 1, we're going to put to death all the Hebrew baby boys, so pretty soon all that's left are Hebrew baby girls, and eventually those Hebrew baby girls will grow up, and they will marry Egyptian men, and we will eliminate the Hebrew race altogether. Now remember, there's always what you see, but there's more going on behind the scenes. Remember, Satan, the enemy of God, who's trying to advance his kingdom, knew the promise God had made to Abraham to make of him a great nation, and one day through him, all the nations of the earth would be blessed, that it was through him and his seed that the promised seed of Genesis 3.15 was one day going to emerge. You can imagine what was going on. In the mind of Satan, as he put it in the mind of Pharaoh, to eliminate all the Hebrew baby boys, he was trying to eliminate that promised seed that saved your king of Genesis 3.15. And it almost worked. Except one of those Hebrew mamas concocted a plan to save her little infant son named Moses. Exodus chapter 2, she makes a little ark, a little boat, puts her little baby Moses in the boat hides him in the reeds on the banks of the Nile River so that Pharaoh's men won't find him and put him to death. Well, we're told that one day the daughter of Pharaoh is walking along the banks of the Nile and she hears this little sound of a baby crying coming from the reeds and she begins to investigate and sure enough, there's this little boat and there's this little baby inside the boat. This little baby's crying. She retrieves the boat, looks at this baby and the daughter of Pharaoh is instantly moved with compassion for this little Hebrew baby boy. And she takes this little Hebrew baby boy back to the palace where she looks at her daddy, who is Pharaoh, and says, Daddy, I know you said about all the Hebrew baby boys, they all have to be put to death, but I found this one. Can I keep him? And it goes to show the heart of a daddy for his daughter, even a wicked daddy like Pharaoh, because what he said was, okay, honey, I mean, this is a daddy's girl. So he says, okay, you can keep him. And Moses is then raised like an adopted member of the family. He is raised in a palace as the son of Pharaoh, a prince in Egypt. And for 40 years, he lives a palace life. But God cannot form him to be the leader and deliverer God has destined him for living in the palace. He's got to get him out of the palace to live on the backside of the desert. That's where God does his greatest work in those desert places of our life. 
So what happens? Exodus chapter 2, he's now 40 years of age. In some way, I think Moses knew what God had destined him for and what God was calling him to. In some way, he knows who he is. He hasn't forgotten who he is. He knows I'm not an Egyptian. I don't feel like I'm fully a Hebrew. They're out there slaving in the hot Egyptian sun. I'm in here living the palace life. I know what God has said with the rich oral tradition of the ancient Hebrews. He knew the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, he knew that God had made promises to his father Abraham that one day he's going to be a great nation and one day they will establish themselves in this land, the land of Canaan. You see, Moses knew the promises of God made for the Jews, which meant Moses knew we cannot stay forever in Egypt. I don't know how, but one way or another, we are getting out of here. And I think maybe God wants me to be the deliverer. He goes out one day and he sees an Egyptian taskmaster beating a Hebrew slave. And Moses goes Rambo. I mean, he snaps. And with his bare hands, like Moses must have been a very imposing specimen physically, with his bare hands, he snaps, he goes off, he goes Rambo, and he kills this Egyptian man with his bare hands, and he hides him in the sand. I don't know this for sure, doesn't say in the text. I think maybe he thought in that moment he was going to lead a slave uprising and lead the Hebrews out of the land right then and there, but that's not what happened. The next day he comes out again. This time he sees two Hebrews, two Jewish men, and they're fighting each other. They're tussling with one another. He gets in between them and says, guys, guys, we're brethren. Hey, break this thing up. One of them looks at him and says, who made you a prince and a ruler over us? What are you going to do? Kill me now like you killed that Egyptian? And right then Moses goes, oh, no. Not only am I not going to lead a slave uprising, not only am I not going to be the deliverer I thought God was calling me to, but if he knows what I did yesterday, Pharaoh probably does too. I got to get out of town. (laughs) And that's what he did. He got on the run. He ran as far as he could go to a place in the country of Midian, the backside of the desert. And there he has been for 40 years, hiding for his life, shepherding his father-in-law's sheep on the backside of a desert. Can you imagine for 40 years, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, do you ever think for a moment he felt like a failure? God, what have I done? I thought you were calling me to be the deliverer. I thought you were calling me to deliver your people out of captivity. What am I doing here? How did I get here? Let me tell you something. He felt like a complete failure for 40 years. I blew my opportunity. And here's what I know about Moses. The man had anger issues. You got anger issues? This man had some anger issues. Not only in a fit of rage does he kill this Egyptian man, but he would never fully outrun the anger issues all the days of his life. It would follow him all the days of his life. Do you got issues? Oh, come on, you got issues. I know you do. I've got some of mine too. See, here's the point. God uses people with issues. 
See, we have in our mind's eye these great heroes of the faith. They were all superstars. I mean, this is Moses, the part of the Red Sea. Now, you'd understand, they're just like you and me, full of blotches and blemishes and faults and frailties and failures. Here is Moses. He had to have felt like a complete failure. And now God is calling him to go back to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. For a moment, he must have thought, God, you got the wrong person. You must have forgotten. I failed. But here's what I want you to understand. Listen carefully. God uses your past failures as part of your development for your eventual deployment. See, this is what God does. He uses even our failures as part of our development for our eventual deployment. Now, here's the deal for you and me. We always focus on the deployment but God is far more focused on your development. See, even your failures is part of your preparation for your eventual destination. You can see this over and over again in Scripture. Before there was the great apostle Paul that would write half of the New Testament. His name was Saul. You talk about a failure. He hated the church. He hated Christians. He hated Jesus. He put them to death. Do you understand over and over again, there is failure in their past. You can see this in the life of Peter, the apostle Peter, before he was the great apostle Peter that God would use on the day of Pentecost to preach to thousands and thousands thousands and thousands would be saved. He is the one that made this bold brash prediction and this bold brash claim, Jesus, when everybody else runs away, I'm your guy, I'm gonna stay. But of course, on the very night Jesus was betrayed, he denied even knowing the Lord three times. He wept bitterly. He felt like he was disqualified forever to be follower of Jesus, disqualified forever to be a leader of the church. But it's not a coincidence that in John chapter 21, Jesus publicly, not privately, but publicly restored him to ministry. You see, Peter had to fail miserably before his heart would be one of humility where God could use him greatly. Do you understand that failure is part of our development for our eventual deployment? I don't know, I, I feel like maybe I'm the only one that's just shocked that God can use our failures. I mean, think about this for a moment, the implications. Some of you here are so focused on your missteps that you can't take your next step. Some of us are so focused on our past steps that we haven't taken our next steps. Like, Pastor Phil, you don't understand. I mean, you don't know about my abortion. You don't know about my addiction. You don't know about my depression. You don't know about my temptation. And I'm trying to tell you today, I don't know, but God knows. God knows everything, and God wants to use you even in your failure to begin to form in you something brand new. This, you see, is what God does. This is what it means to be redeemed. I know you know this. This seems so simple, but yet it is so, so profound. Did you know the moment you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, he set you free from sin's penalty, which means you don't have to live guilty. It's called grace. 
Do you know the moment you put your faith in Jesus to forgive your sin, you put your faith in him? Do you know he forgave all of your sins, past, present, and future? He didn't just cover your sin, he's cleansed you of sin so that when God looks at you, he no longer sees your sin. All he sees now is a saint. He doesn't see your sin. He has exonerated you of your guilt. He's exonerated you of your blame. There is no shame. He has cleansed you of every single stain. This is what God does. And I'm trying to tell you, he takes us in our failures and uses our failures as part of our development for eventual deployment. See, we're all about the destiny. Where am I going? But God is all about the being. What are you becoming? See, we focus on the destiny. God is focused on the journey. And for Moses, part of his journey was to fail miserably so that God could shape him and make him in a desert. He couldn't do it in a palace. It was the apostle Paul who said these words in Philippians chapter three, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to those things that are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was saying, I can't change the past, but I will not be a prisoner of the past. I'm gonna learn from the past, but I'm gonna focus on the future. I'm gonna press toward the mark of the prize. I'm gonna take my next step. So as Tashan said today, we say it every single week, every single time the word of God is preached, it demands a response. We call it next steps. What would be the response for some of us that have been so focused on our past steps and our missteps that we haven't taken the next step? What would be your next step? For some of us, 2022 ought to be the year of your baptism. You've never taken the first step of obedience to follow Jesus, which is baptism. For some of us, our next step ought to be to enter into a formal discipleship process with somebody. Let us put you together with a spiritual mentor. Remember, everybody is somebody's leader. You need a leader. And it's the model Jesus used of his discipleship of the 12, especially the inner three. That's what we're doing here at Abundant Life personally. That could be the next step for some of us. Hey, for some of us, it's community. You're living in isolation and you cannot grow spiritually while you're living in anonymity. You grow spiritually when you enter into true biblical community. What I'm trying to say today is take responsibility to take your next step. This was Moses' next step. Moses, your next step is to say yes to me, to go back and do what feels like an impossibility, and yes, it's gonna be scary, but I'm gonna move on your behalf supernaturally, miraculously, and unexplainably. No, you're not a failure. That's what you did in your history, but that is not your true identity. Now, what else could he have thought? I'm telling you what else he probably thought. He thought, felt like a failure. God, you can't use me. And number two would be this, I'm inadequate. God, you don't understand, I am, I'm inadequate. Have you ever felt like inadequate? I am not enough. I am not worthy to be used of God mightily. This was Moses. This was the man that would eventually part the Red Sea. Look at how he responds to the God of the burning bush. He says in verse 10, Then Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since. You have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? 
Now therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what to say. Moses looks at God and says, God, but I, st- I st- stutter. God, God I'm, I'm s- s- slow of speech. Not only does the man have anger issues, he has a speech impediment. He says, God, I'm not eloquent. I'm no orator. You want me to go back in front of the most powerful man in the world and stand toe-to-toe with Pharaoh? I, I don't speak well. And you know what God says? You don't need to speak well because I'm going to use your mouth. I'm going to speak through your mouth. Moses, you're going to be saying things you didn't know you could say. And do you understand, this is how you get over the fear of sharing the gospel and having that conversation. When you find that one, you say, I'm inadequate. Like, I don't have a PhD in theology, and I'm not like Chad, and man, I'm not even like Mary, and man, she just seems so eloquent up there. This is what God does. When you open up your mouth, the Holy Spirit begins to take over. But the Holy Spirit doesn't take over until you open up your mouth. See, this is how God works. Remember the promise of Acts 1-8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be witnesses of me. You have the power of the Holy Spirit and the way you engage the power that lives inside of you. Remember that unlimited potential to see God do the impossible is simply when you say yes to Jesus, I'll be the one. Moses felt completely inadequate. I'm not eloquent, I'm not an orator. Check this out, you don't have to be. God uses ordinary people to do the extraordinary. This is the history of Christianity. Over and over again, God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. You have 120 people on the day of Pentecost, most of which today we don't even know their name. God used ordinary people, 120, filled with the Spirit of God to change the world. What do you think God could do with you and me? Now listen, God used the really gifted people too. There are a few, like total package, fully gifted. Wow, it's like, whoa, why didn't I get all that? Like I I listened to Sean Struckmeyer preach a week ago. You just thought he could sing. You just thought he could play guitar. You didn't know he could preach. Wasn't that an amazing message? Esther chapter four, what an awesome message. Man, I love that passage he preached from. God has brought Esther to the kingdom for such a time as this. Guess what? God has brought you to the kingdom for such a time as this. God has brought us to the kingdom for such a time as this. But it means we're going to have to obey even when it's not easy, even when it's costly. We're going to have to obey even when it's risky. That's when God begins to use us personally. I listen to Sean. I'm thinking it's not fair. One person gets to be so good at all of that. I mean, he sings, he plays the guitar, he can preach. Got the best head of hair. Everybody, anybody I know over 50 years of age, that's not fair. Not fair. Total package. Yeah, his hair's changed 49 times in the eight years he's been on staff. Mine has stayed exactly the same. Hasn't changed. I mean, there are some really gifted people that God uses. Sean would be an example. Like, wow, he can do all that. Like, I let him preach for me, he will never let me sing for him. (laughs) Not gonna happen. It's okay. 
here's the point. There aren't that many things I do well. I preach and I lead. That's it. I'm more average than most of you probably think. I guarantee I'm overrated. Like we're calling this series Impossible 2. The reason why is this is year two of the Impossible Campaign. But when I see Impossible 2, I think of my GPA. I was a solid C student. Man, I was solidly average. I was a student athlete. I emphasize athlete more than student. What can I say? Here's the point. God uses ordinary people like me and you to do extraordinary things that aren't fully explainable Yet it's undeniable, these are the kind of people God delights in using. If you're ordinary and average, you're exactly the kind of person God wants to use because then he gets all the glory and we can't take any of it. Church, I'm telling you, we're on the precipice of doing things in our city that I'm convinced our city has never seen in terms of advancing a kingdom, a move of God taking the gospel to every crevice and every corner of our city, and yes, even with the online campus, even our country, but check this out. It's not because we're so awesome. It's not because we're so smart. Not because we're so talented. It's because we got a God that is awesome, and he loves putting his awesomeness on display in a tangible way. When the people of God simply say, God, we're not awesome, but you are Put me in. I'll be the one to find that someone. That's when God begins to move. And God uses little old ordinary people like me and you. Number three, undoubtedly, he said, God, I'm too old. I mean, here you have, by Exodus chapter three, you have Moses is an 80-year-old man. He's no longer a young man. No, he spent 40 years in a palace, the next 40 years in a desert, all of that to bring him to this moment in his life. He's 80 years old, and the last 40 years of his life, he will spend it taking a band of liberated slaves on a journey to a land that would flow with milk and honey. Now, here's what I want you to understand. I hear people say all the time, well, you know, I'm too old. This could have been Moses' attitude when God calls him and raises him up and gives him his mission. God, I'm 80. Like, it's time to put me out to pasture. I mean, literally, he's been going out to pasture, taking his father-in-law's sheep to pasture for the last 40 years. Like, it's time for me to go out to pasture. This is what I want you to understand. You're never too young or too old to be used mightily of God. When you look behind this in church, I'm praying for a revival. I don't know if you even know what that means, revival. When we use that word, it's kind of a churchy word. It simply means a Holy Spirit, heaven-sent move of God upon the people of God. I'll be praying for revival till the day I die, longing for revival. When you look behind you in the move of God historically in 2,000 years, when there has been true revival of biblical proportions, it's almost always a youth movement. It's always been led by young adults. There's a revival going on in our city of young adults. You want to see it some night? Show up on a Tuesday night. It's called Paradigm. When you look statistically, 
at this generation, what's happening on Tuesday nights shouldn't be happening. It's a move of God. But do you understand? Some people think, well, this is a young man's game. Moses could have said, God, this is a young man's name. You, you need a younger man. I'm 80. Some of us here think, well, I'm 70. I'm 80. God has surely done using me. Like, what do I have to offer at my age? Have you ever noticed of every funeral you have ever been to that so far none of them have been yours? Could that mean that God, even at your age, is not done using you? There's still more for you to do. Let me just speak into those of you that are in my season of life, not young, not old. I said, not old. That wasn't a joke. Thank you, Ben. He said, amen, for the record. I got a witness. Here, here's the point, not young, not old. Empty nest season of life, almost an empty nester. And this is the temptation in this season of life. I'm watching it happen. Those that used to be leaders in the body of Christ when their children were young, all of a sudden those children grow up and leave home. And for the first time in years and years, you have more time than you've ever had. You're not chasing your little ones around the ball fields all over God's green earth on the weekends. You got more money than you've ever had. No more soccer cleats to pay for, college tuition to pay for. And all of a sudden I see this thing happening with people my age like, I'm going on vacation. You guys got this. I've done my time, I did my part. And I'm simply making this observation, if you're in that season of life I'm in, I cannot think of a better time than now to make an impact on the kingdom. We do have more time than we used to. Not always, but in some cases, we do have more money than we used to. Those little kids are money pits. They're worth it, don't misunderstand, they're worth it. Well, they cost a lot of money, all of a sudden, you're not paying for that. My point is, we have more opportunity than ever in our lifetime to impact eternity. Why in the world would we retire now from serving Jesus after all these years? One day we're all gonna see Jesus. Do you believe that, church? One day sooner than you think. We're all going to see Jesus, and when we do, nothing else will matter. I'm not telling you don't go on vacation. I hope you have an awesome vacation this year. I'm not telling you don't play a little extra golf in the season of life now that you're in, but I'm trying to tell you that if your only pursuit now of life is to chase a little white ball around a little green manicured lawn or go to a seashore on vacation and collect seashells, it's going to be a wasted life and a wasted opportunity and one day we're going to see Jesus and nothing else will matter when we do let's break the tape let's finish strong let's finish our race following hard and pursuing Jesus with all of our God you are never too young or too old it is never too late for God to use you in a mighty powerful way it says in verse 13, Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent you, um, he said, And they say to me, What is the name 
what shall I say to them? He's saying, God, what is your name? Who, who would I tell them sent me to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God reveals his name to Moses, I am. That's my name. I am the I am. God is revealing in this name one of his key attributes, that he is not confined to space and time, that he is the inventor and the creator of space and time. He is from another dimension known as eternity. I'm from everlasting to everlasting. And Moses, where I come from, it is never past, present, and future. I'm not the God that was. I'm not the God that's going to be. I just, I am. It's the ever-present now. And he's saying, Moses, you cannot, but you can because you know I am. <laughs> Moses, you're not enough. You're completely inadequate. And yes, you will fail without me, but you can't fail with me because I am the I am. Church, listen carefully. Abundant life is not. We don't have what it takes to do all that God has laid on our heart to do. We cannot, but we can because we know the I am. What is God calling you to do? Whatever it is, you cannot. But if you know I am, you can. And that is what God is promising Moses. Like Moses, we are not, but we can because we know I am. I'd like to do this with you on this first Sunday of 2022. Wherever you're watching and worshiping from, from the living room of your home to the Blue Springs Independence Campus right here in Lee Summit. Church family, I wanna pray with you right now because we're desperate for God, we need him, yes. We dare not go alone. But we don't have to, we can. When we go in the power of the I am. So I'm gonna ask you to stand with me right now if you would. Wherever you're watching from, would you stand with us right there around this country, around this city? Would you join us right here in this Lee Summit Auditorium? And if you're willing to take your next step, whatever it is, however how risky, I'm just going to ask you right now, would you raise your hands to heaven with me? I begin every year just like this. God, I surrender again. Whatever this year brings, God, I surrender it again. Whatever challenges, God, I surrender again. Whatever tribulation, God, I surrender again. I'm going for another lap. Let's do it again. And this is the universal sign of surrender. And these hands should reflect the attitude of our hearts. And honestly, if you can't, Hold your hands and surrender. You don't have to. Nobody's going to shame you. But if the posture of your heart is surrendered before God, then let's come before God. Let's say, God, use us again. Jesus, we, the body of Christ, the bride at abundant life, we confess that we are not but you are the I am. We confess that we cannot, but 
with the I am, we can. And we make no more excuses. Failures. Feelings of inadequacy. God, we want to see you do impossibilities. We surrender our lives to live dangerously, even if it's costly. We long to see you move miraculously. Lord, thank you for Michaela's story and how you pursued her hundreds of miles away. You providentially positioned a woman from her city to invite her to church where somebody else told her about the love of God. God in heaven, we plead for hundreds and hundreds more, thousands and thousands and ten thousands and ten thousands in the years ahead of lives changed by Jesus. And we surrender our lives today that you might even change ours. In Jesus' name. Let's sing this together. It's going to be an amazing year seeing God do impossibilities, moving miraculously. We're going to look behind us another year from now, and we're going to say what God has done. I'm so thankful for you. I hope you have a super, super blessed Sunday. God bless you. God go with you. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. 
We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.